Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode two of our debrief best of experience here for the summer. That's I'm right. Stephanie Schaefer. I'm Justin Party, and you can tell it's a very best of the debrief because you've got me co-hosting alongside Stephanie instead of Tim Holly. Oh, sick burn! burn. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> oh man, how did I not have my sound effects app open for that yeah, one? Well, I guess you're not the best after all, are you? Damn. Anyway, well, while we are on break for our very short summer, this is technically the last yes. week of it. Summer's over. Yeah, Get hope ready you guys to go back to your school. Summer break like we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some more best moments from the debrief to share with you. So there's more where last week came from. Exactly. Enjoy the very best of Pastor Matt answering, bringing real answers to tough. Bringing real answers to tough questions from the Bible. From your friends here at This is definitely the second best opener of the best of I'd say last week's far better. Like this one probably won't ever make the best of anything. So maybe we'll get Tim on the next one. (laughs) Okay, so this question comes from Tina who says... Uh, and this is really awesome. Obviously, she was listening and thinking hard during your sermon this last weekend. How do you tell the difference between stress and pressure that God uses to change direction in your life from just normal stress that incurs while you're in the place God wants you? Yeah, that's a great question. So stress is stress is uh, a difficult thing, and it's a beautiful thing. So, for example, when I was in the Army, uh, you had to go through boot camp, and it was like, a, I think it, my boot camp was 12 weeks, and it was very, very stressful. Mm. And so... Um, at first, it felt debilitating, and then I realized that the army was trying to equip me to handle things and handle situations, and so they were intentionally putting pressure on me to prepare me for greater things. And so I think God allows us to go through stress because He's preparing us to participate in His army so that we can handle greater, greater things. And so part of it's training, part of it's just the world that we live in. We live in a stressful world. We live in a world where we travel too much, we work too much, we we don't stop, we don't rest. I mean, that's just the reality. So. Here's what I would say is I think stress is always God trying to get our attention, always. Mm. So sometimes it's some things that, you know, you can't change and you got to deal with it. It may mean you need to change jobs. You need to change your friendships. You may need to change your life in some way. But what I think is, is it's God reminding you. Just think of, uh, I was talking with my wife about this this week. Just think of it literally as God putting his hand on your chest because you can actually feel pressure sometimes on your chest. And God's saying, hey, this is too big for you. Let me handle this. That's awesome. You know, and so... Um, you know, Psalms 4610, you know, be still and know that I am God. God talks about resting in his arms as a nursing baby rests in, in its mother's arms. It doesn't think about anything. It doesn't long for anything. It's completely held. It's completely at peace. And that's what God wants us to be. When we experience stress, it's usually because we're tackling something that is too big for us. We have put ourselves in the seat of God and we are trying to handle things, control things, uh, literally, I mean, worry is trying to change the world through mental power. You can't do it. It doesn't work. You do not have the mental power to do that. And so you've got to give to God what's God's. He can handle it. You know, the Bible says, cast all your cares upon God because he cares for you. So throw it. Think about throwing it on God and say, okay, God, that doesn't mean you don't have to work. You don't have to try. You don't have to do your best. But once you get it, man, um, you know, I think about when I was in the military, um, they would ask you to do things in an amount of time that you could never accomplish the task. It was intentionally done to make you fail. And people would just flip out. And I learned to just laugh at it and be like, okay, these guys are messing with us. And it's not that God that's messing with you, but he's putting these things in your lives so that you can realize, I can't do this in the time allotted. I can't make this happen. So in stress, instead of stressing out, give it to God. Say, God, you know, here, my marriage is yours. My, my finances are yours. My kids are yours. This situation is yours. I'm going to do the very best I can, but at the end of the day, you're God. I'm not, and I'm going to trust you. And so... Um, I think her question, though, was how do we discern between 
stress mm-hmm. outside of God and stress that's from God. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, what, again, why you need community. You need people to speak in your life. So the Apostle Paul um, and Silas here know that this is the Holy Spirit. They know this is the Spirit of Jesus, and they determine that this is the will of God. And so they're in tune with what God is saying. And so that's what I would say is every single day, try to live your life so that you're listening to God through his word, uh, through his people, and through your experiences. God speaks. And I think many of us don't listen to God. Um, you know, even like if you have a weird dream, like what, what was that about? How do, I, how do I interpret that in my life? Because God speaks through dreams, visions. God speaks through, you know, um, subtly through people and situations and circumstances. I think God is speaking to us all day long and nudging us. And the stress oftentimes is the resistance to that. And so that's why God blocked him from going to Asia and then blocked him from going up to the Black Sea, uh, like towards Russia. So, mm-hmm. so I think that idea of accepting all stress as being God trying to get your attention can be really, really powerful. Um, there's all kinds of different ways that could occur, whether it's somebody at work dealing with uh, challenging projects, tasks, or even relationships, or you know, some student with new material or homework or a project that's hard for them or you know, even parents and kids and, and those relationships, if I were to accept that really anytime I'm feeling stressed out, that it's God trying to get my attention, what would you say? Like, do I just pause briefly and pray in that moment? What's the yeah, best response in that situation? Yeah, I think exactly. Psalms 46, 10, stop, slow down, and rest. And you've got to, you've got to interject times to spend alone where you're doing nothing and you're focused on God. That's what. That's the rule of the Sabbath. You've got to make sure you do that because if you don't, life catches up. We were not made to go, 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 go. We have to stop. Sooner or later, if we don't stop, we don't rest, God will actually stop us through our physical bodies. We get sick. You know, our bodies don't work. It, you need to slow yourself down or your body will slow yourself down. So I would just say stop, take a deep breath, literally breathe in, and then breathe out and say, God, you're in control. I'm going to hand this to you. Um, this week in church, I don't think I said it at every service, but one of my favorite verses is Colossians 3.15. This says, let the peace that comes from Christ control your thoughts. So like when I go to yoga, I don't do the whole namaste thing. I don't yeah. say all their Hindu prayers and chants. I do Colossians 3.15. Let the peace that comes from Christ control my thoughts. Um, and then if you summarize that verse really quickly, it's, and be grateful. Mm-hmm. So just let God control my thoughts and I'm going to be grateful for what I have. And so... So much of it's just learning to stop, pause, breathe, and pray. And, and, and the, the effects are profound. Even people who don't believe in God, scientists measure this in people. It's profound. When we stop, we pause, and we think about God, and we recognize that he's in control, this gives people great power. And so it's interesting that non-Christians recognize the strength of that, and oftentimes as Christians, we completely forget it. Mm-hmm. So stop, listen, and just say, okay, God, I'm feeling stressed right now. Why is that? Because I'm, I put myself in the seat of God. I'm trying to control this, understand this, manipulate this, move this, make all of these things happen. And the truth is we're not God and you can't control life. You can do your very best. You can work your very hardest, but things happen. All right. In your message this weekend, you also mentioned 1 John 3.20 when talking about not relying on our emotions for our happiness. The verse says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Matt sent in a question and asked, I've always been under the impression that God does not give us guilt, but that guilt comes from the enemy. A recent Bible study I picked up stated that God does in fact give us guilt. Is this true? And how do we know what is guilt and what is conviction? Yeah. So again, I also said in our message that many of us are way more American than we are Christian. And so here, here is the problem with 
modern Christian books, modern Christian talks, you know? I mean, basically anything on Oprah's show, don't listen. <laughs> because, because what Oprah is promoting is American spirituality, which leads to hell. That's the reality. And so mm. every author that comes on her show with almost without exception would say guilt and shame are bad. That's okay. We need to feel those things when we need to feel them. Mm -hmm. So the issue is not, we should never feel shame or guilt. The issue is there are some things that we do that we need to feel shame and guilt for. So here's the beauty. And this is what John is saying. Yeah, there's some things that I feel guilty for. And so I need to feel guilty for them unless I've confessed them, I've repented of them, and I have brought them to God and to someone else. Once I've done that, I no longer feel guilty because God is greater than my feelings. So the residual mm. effects of my sin still may be lingering in my heart, but God has forgiven me. And let me just say this to Christians. There were some things that I carried in my life for 10 years. Some of the things that I did in college. And I went to counseling uh, when I had my emotional, mental breakdown, whatever you want to call it, my mid thirties. I, I went to a counselor <laughs> And I, I, I like that guy I said, do I need to go to back to every person and, and confess all these things? And he's like, did you confess to God? I said, yes. He said, have you confessed to others? I said, yes. He says, no, you're mm -hmm. done. So my feelings of guilt, and this is what religion does. Religion uh, will never set us free from guilt. So I need to feel guilt temporarily. If I do something wrong, that's conviction. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing is, conviction is alleviated by confession. Okay? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> I'll say it again. Conviction is alleviated by confession. Mm -hmm. So once I've confessed, if I still feel guilty, it's demonic. Wow. It's of the devil. So mm. guilt prior to uh, confession is conviction, right? Mm -hmm. So God's not gonna let me go until I confess it. He's gonna continue to convict me. I feel convicted in my own sermons. <laughs> it's weird, man. <laughs> Dude, in the middle of words coming out What's of my mouth, like? yeah, yeah the Holy like? Spirit is like, that's a good sermon. Someone should live that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> boom. <laughs> so I, I need to confess that, right? Mm -hmm. So um, a couple of months ago, uh, my wife asked me if I looked at something on the internet and I said, no, totally lied to her. It was my instant reaction. She's like, okay, she went to sleep all night long. I could not sleep all night long because I felt guilt. Why? I was guilty. I was guilty. I should have felt like crap all night long. And if you don't feel guilty for sin, one of two things, you know, you're not a Christian um, or, or you're so far from God, man, you have seared mm. the Spirit's influence in your life. Yeah. Mm. And so, um, you know, people who don't feel guilty don't know God. And so we, we need to, so guilt is, for the Christian is conviction. And so God convicts me, I need to stop doing this. I need to change this. And I need to repent of this. And on the other side of confession, if there's still guilt, it's demonic. And we need to release that. And so here's how the devil worked in my life is God can forgive everyone else, but I know better. Mm. And so for me, I, I just really struggled with it and I could not release myself from that. And the spirit of unforgiveness, if you want to talk about two things that are demonic, right? The spirit of unforgiveness um, and sexual sin gives the enemy unique pathways into our lives, right? Mm. And so that's why the Bible constantly speaks against that. So, so sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. And so here's the question. If God forgave you, why can't you? Are you, are you more righteous than God? Are you more holy than God? Mm. And you got to forgive yourself. So um, I, I think that's huge. Con the Holy Spirit convicts us, but then after we confess, he releases us.
Mm. So I think that's such a great clarification too, because you talked at the beginning about how like religion is really what like can also produce guilt that like, it's not about when you feel guilty. It doesn't mean like go to church more, like get your, like do all these things. Like really the only thing to solve guilt is confession. Yes. Amen. Um, and, and that's what religion uses, right? You, you, you got to give more money. You've got to attend more. You've got to serve more. And so we guilt people into serving and that is not right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't call for money. I don't guilt people into giving. I don't guilt people into serving. I don't guilt people into doing anything. I think you should do these things because you want to, yeah. because you, you know, and, and that's when, when I discipline my kids, the biggest issue for me is the heart. It's not the behavior. Mm. It's not what you did. It's why did you do that? Mm-hmm. And so I'm constantly dealing with the heart. And so, you know, this is a parenting tip. Deal with your kids' hearts, not their behavior. What on earth motivated you to do this? Because um, children will curb their behavior and not change their heart. And that's a problem long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, got, you've got to deal with heart issues. So, um, and, and I know that in my own life, you know, is I have, I have to check my heart. And um, so, yeah. yeah. So guilt's not always a bad thing. So, yeah. And part of this is, you know, the world doesn't want you to feel guilty. It's because they don't want you to feel God. That's why. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's good. The guilt being always associated with a negative emotion mm-hmm. can also make us want to run away from something that could be very good in driving us to Jesus. Yeah. I think, I can't remember where it is, but it talks about the kindness of God mm-hmm. leads us to repentance. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that seems like a positive, right? Emotion. But when everything gets kind of boiled down to how what I what it feels like you can move away from something that you need to be moving you know uh, toward someone yeah and part of confession is feeling the weight of your sin mm-hmm. so like when I had to look my wife in the face and say I lied to you last night and I saw that hurt I felt that all night long like that's one small sin that's the weight of one small sin yeah and I need to feel that and so um, you know that's why you know when someone does confess to us we shouldn't minimize their confession we need to let them feel mm. the weight of their sin and this is why we need to confess one to another because we don't have to look God in the face but we do look each other in the face oh. and um, and it's it's embarrassing and man I've had to do it and I will do it again and I tell you it, it serves as quite a deterrent <laughs> for sin when you realize okay if I do this, not only am I going to sin, but I'm going to have I'm going to have to seek repentance. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to look somebody in the face and say I mm. did this. Um, and um, you know, we just we just need to be really, really, really good at confession. So, yeah. So Luke 17 starts off with a warning from Jesus, um, especially verse two. He says, "It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin." Um, when you got to your verse, this verse in your message this weekend, you took a moment to speak directly to the people who'd been abused as children. How would you maybe speak to those folks who've been abused about how as Christians they're supposed to treat the people who had hurt them in ways like this? Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's some complexities to this verse that we didn't get, we, I, didn't get to um, in my sermons on the weekend. And so I want to come back to that. So let me answer this question is, um, you know, how should we treat those people or what did you say? Yeah, like those who've been abused by someone, how would you... If they're a Christian, if this person is Christian, how should they treat the people who've abused them? Yeah, yeah. So, well, at the end, right? Jesus says, you know, in this teaching, um, that we are to forgive those who repent. And so, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of teaching on forgiveness uh, in in the Christian world today that's not always biblical. Mm. So, um, the clear teaching of Jesus on the issue of forgiveness is this: is that we are mandated to forgive those who repent in the same way that God forgives us. How does God forgive us? He forgives us when we repent. So here's the Luke in gospel, the Luke gospel. Repent, believe, 
be baptized. And so that's the formula by which one is right with God. So if a person is genuinely sorry for what they've did and they confess it as sin and they say, I'm not going to do this anymore, um, you are mandated to forgive that person. However, if they don't do that, I think what this passage says is you just need to hand that over for God. I wouldn't hold on to bitterness. I wouldn't hold on to anger. I wouldn't hold on to resentment because then you make yourself a slave um, for the rest of your life to the emotions from that psychological event. Mm -hmm. And so it was horrendous and it was awful and it was ugly. And, you know, God's prayer for you is that you would find emotional and psychological freedom from that event, that it wouldn't enslave you for the rest of your life. And so the way you do that, I think, in this passage is you hand it over to Jesus and you understand the, that, that God will deal with the one who wronged you. And it's going, to be, it's going to be brutal for that person. And ultimately, you know, that's why we want to pray for those who've wounded us and pray for those who persecuted us because what they did to us will be nothing in comparison to what ultimately happens to them forever so that the wrath that they're awaiting is far beyond anything that could ever happen to us. And it doesn't mean that what God is going to do to them is wrong. It means it's going to be forever. Judgment is going to be forever. And so the heart for us is to pray for that person to get right with God, because that's the heart for all of us. Um, now, let me say this, you know, in, in cases of abuse, and the person wants to get things right with you, I think it's completely up to you whether or not you engage with that person. Let's say, you know, you were molested or something like that. And that person in prison became a Christian. They get out and they want to, they want to make things right with their victims. And they're very, very sorry. I don't think that you need to be in a relationship with that person or contact that person unless you, you know, you feel like you want to do that. Um, um, you know, I would just, you know, from afar say, you know, thank you very much you know, keep your distance. We don't need to be in a relationship and that's fine because oftentimes re-engaging with the person who's abused you brings up all kinds of other things that makes you feel very unsafe. And so, so, so that's what I would say to that. Are you going to ask me another question about this? Yeah, I was going to ask even on the inverse side of like people who have those in their family who've been abused, like, you know, we talked, you talked about like praying for those who've hurt you, loving your enemies. How do you love and pray for those who've maybe hurt you or hurt your family in a way like that. Yeah. Right? So, so when Jesus really says love, you know, I think a lot of times as Christians, we make ourselves ridiculous trying to figure this out. He doesn't mean like, you know, he doesn't, when he means love, he, he means to wish well. You don't, so how do you love your enemies? You wish them well. You may have to kill them. You may have to, like in, in conflict, you know, but I don't want them dead. I want to be at peace. And so whatever needs mm -hmm. to happen for peace to occur, that's what I'm praying for. And that's what I'm longing for. Um, you know, you hear these incredible stories in World War II where you have German soldiers on one side of, of, the, of the fight and uh, British and French on the other side, and it's Christmas. They all stop and they sing, you know, Christmas songs together, literally in the trenches. They're wishing each other well. They still have a disagreement that they have to fight through because of the nations in which they exist. And so there's a battle that has to be fought. But in the end, what they care for is ultimately about the very best for the people they're fighting. And so as Christians, we need to remember ultimately that what we're fighting against, Paul says, is not flesh and blood. It's not people. People are not our enemy. The devil is. And so the devil um, infiltrates, uses, and manipulates people to do all kinds of evil. And so we need to remember that that's the enemy. And we need to pray and wish well. Like for ISIS, you know, what the, these people are doing are horrible atrocities in the Middle East. You know, I don't wish evil upon them. Like you hear this sometimes, like we need... what. The response is we need to commit all the atrocities that they're committing against us, against them. And then it's like, well, then we're just like them. Mm -hmm. Now we may have to kill them, but let's do so, you know, as as humanely as possible. Mm -hmm. um, we don't need to torture, maim, and do all these horrible things. But what ultimately I wish for the people that are involved in that 
is that they would get their lives right with God, that they would quit worshiping this false idea of God, this, this, this really perversion of who God is, and that they would worship Jesus Christ and repent of their sins and come to Christ and be at peace with the people around them. And that's my prayer for them. I wish that for them, but it doesn't mean I need to be in a relationship with them. So I don't, I don't need to be in connection with them. And so every single person needs to have safe distance. So we talked about the victim. Let's talk quickly about the friends and family of the victim. Here's where Christians need to be very, very careful. Yes, we need to offer forgiveness. Yes, we need to allow people to repent of their sins. But when you are in relationship with someone who's been the victim, you must always side with the victim. So what you can't do is you can't wound the person again because we said, well, this person says they're sorry. Now we need to bring them a relationship. If the victim is not at a place in their life where they want this person around at family events, at family gatherings, even in the church, you know, we had a situation in our church where, uh, 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 you know, a person in our church had been molested as a child by somebody else who, who came to our church and they, they couldn't worship. They couldn't go to church here. So what did I do? I told the person who was the uh, perpetrator of the event, you must go to church somewhere else. They they were sorry, they'd repent, fine. All that's fine, Mm -hmm. but you don't get to worship here because it's negatively affecting the victim. And so that's one of the things that we need to do as Christians is we need to side with the victims in the process and make sure that we don't wound them again. Because oftentimes the greatest pain that victims feel is that they've not been stood up for. Their families have not protected them. Their families have not rallied behind them, which is why this passage is so important. Jesus says to the victim, I will rally to you. I will save you. I, I, will, I will deal with this person who has sinned against you. So, so I, I spoke specifically to, to, to victims of abuse, especially to children, but really what Jesus is saying here, and this is, man, this is just really, really heavy. Think about all the victims of sexual abuse from priests and from pastors. Jesus is specifically speaking to people in positions of leadership in the church. Hmm. That's who he's speaking to here. And so for those of us who are called into leadership, we're going to be held to a greater account. We're going to be held to greater responsibility and accountability on the day of judgment. And he is telling me specifically, right? I'm the shepherd of this church. Matt, you had better not mistreat my little ones the people who trust you, the people who listen to you, the people who follow you as you follow me, you need to be very, very careful in your leadership. And so really it's an admonition to uh, a word of warning to those of us who are in leadership. We've got to treat little ones, children specifically, but you know, new people in the faith, new believers in the faith, don't manipulate them, don't abuse them, don't mislead them because God is going to hold us accountable. And you think about all the leaders who lead for themselves, who manipulate, who, who twist the truth, who you know, turn churches into their own kingdoms uh, you know, for their own needs. All of those people will be dealt with. Go back to Luke 12, when he returns, and remember what he says, he tears the one servant who abused the sheep, yeah. he tears them to pieces. And so it's the same teaching over and over again. Uh, Nancy wrote in and said, I have a follow-up question from episode 58, where you explained that marriage is ultimately a picture of our relationship with God. And she asked, what about in the case of a divorce? My husband and I have been married for seven years. This is his second marriage and my first. His ex-wife had asked for the divorce for different issues and one being infidelity on both parts. Although she was remarried when my husband and I met, I struggle with the verses saying that marrying a divorced person is adultery. Am I committing adultery? If so, how do we repent and be forgiven for not knowing better prior to making our new covenant? Yeah, man, this is, what was her name? Nancy. All right, so everybody, if you're driving in your car, uh, maybe pull over because this is going to be rough. Um, I love you. I don't want to condemn anyone. I don't want to be super okay. hypercritical. Here's the reality. You can't un-one what God has made one. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. You, you, you can't un-one 
what God has made one. And so when you get married, the two shall become one flesh. Okay. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the problem. So now how do we live in that reality that something has been made one and now legally, physically, emotionally, they're not one. It, it's a challenge, it's a sin. And so here's, here's what I would say is you can't go back and fix it. Um, you know, there, there's, there, there's no way to go back and fix that. Yes, it was a sin. And, and I would confess that to God. And I would say, I was wrong. I didn't know better. I was in ignorance. Or if you knew better, you got to confess that part. Mm-hmm. And you got to say, God, I knew, I knew what was right. And I chose my own heart. I chose my own desires anyways. And it's so important that you own. Remember, Jesus takes Peter to the charcoal fire. You got to go back to the charcoal fire and you got to say, so A, I was ignorant. I, did, I didn't know. Or B, I knew and I didn't care. Mm-hmm. And you gotta you you gotta be real if you want God to heal you. So here's the good news: um, it, it's it's just like the issue of abortion. How how do you fix that? Right. Because we have a dead kid. Mm-hmm. We we can't, we can't, we can't go back and fix that. So here's the good news: we have the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Mm, and that's why you guys, I get so discouraged when I look at the lack of intensity for worship on weekends. Mm-hmm. Christians have no idea what they've been forgiven for. Mm-hmm. No idea. And, um, you know, um, divorce is a serious issue for God. It's something that is socially acceptable. Um, and it has led to all kinds of problems. I can tell you that my wife and I have been on the verge of divorce several times. Um, and by the grace of God, not because I'm better than you, not because I'm wiser, smarter, love Jesus more than you, by the grace of God, we've been able to make it work out. And we are grateful. Marriage is precious. It is honorable and we need to understand. And the Bible says uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, God will judge those who dishonor the marriage bed. So how do you avoid that? You repent and you say, God, I sinned by marrying a divorced person or I sinned by getting a divorce, either out of ignorance or with intentionality. And it's important that you own the truth. Don't mm-hmm. lie to God. And, and if I believe, if you are sincere in your repentance, God will forgive you. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And divorce is unrighteousness. And um, again, that, that I, just, I just leveled half our church. Mm-hmm. So don't think I don't know that. I love you. I care for you. I'm not here to beat you down, but my job is to tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth knocks you down before it sets you free. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality. And we need to quit acting like there's no consequence for divorce. Look, divorce affects us spiritually. You can't unwind what God wants. It affects us. It affects our kids. Every single kid, every single child is affected by the separation of mom and dad. It affects them. Most of you didn't have a dad. Some of you didn't have a mom. It affects us. It is leveling and, and killing our society. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, just, that's just a reality. So what do you do? You, you can't beat yourself up forever. You got to go to the cross. You got to go to the cross. There's a reason that cross is bloody. There's a reason that cross is brutal. Mm-hmm. And that's because Jesus had to pay the price for your sin and my sin on that cross. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, man, my heart goes out to you if you're divorced or you've married somebody who's divorced. Um, you can't unone what God made one. Mm-hmm. You can't tear apart. That's why the Bible says, let no man tear apart. And the reason they said that is because you know, women couldn't demand divorce except in extraordinarily odd circumstances. It was something very, very odd and very, very rare. Um, but men were the one that left women. And, you know, um, God God wants us to 
be in monogamous, lifelong heterosexual relationships. And we throw away relationships way too quickly. So here's what you do. You can't fix the old relationship. So you've got to make sure this new relationship is dedicated to God. And the best way to do that is to repent from your sin, Mm -hmm. from the last, last relationship and start working on the new one and saying, okay, I've got to make this work because you, 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 you can't go back. You, you mm-hmm. just, you just can't. Um, and, and some sins, you know, you, you can't fix, um, like abortion. You, you can't fix that. So what, what you need to have fixed is your heart and your soul. And you need to ask God to forgive you of your sin. And man, when we come in and we worship and we praise Jesus, your hands should be up, your tears should be flowing and you should be grateful because mm-hmm. Jesus Christ set you free from your guilt. Mm-hmm. If, you confess your sins to him. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's absolutely important uh, for us to do that. So, so great, if you great guys, question. Yeah, some of you guys probably need to go back and push rewind and listen to that a couple, a couple, one or two times. But just just to make sure you didn't miss it, Pastor Matt really challenged you to confess uh, and come forward. So hope if you're already in a community group, I mean, that's your great context. If you're not, man, when you come to church this weekend, please come forward after service and pray with one of our ministers or uh, pastors who are there. We That's a great place to get started. Uh, well, okay. okay, and let me say this. Sometimes, though, marriages are so toxic and so dangerous, the church has to um, mm-hmm. uh, push for divorce. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you can't ever get divorced. It's, e- it's even when you have grounds for divorce, it's still sin. It's still a tearing apart. Right. There mm-hmm. still is... A ripping of what was made one by God, and it's our words and our and our and so. But sometimes you have to do that for the safety of children, for the safety of yourself. Um, but it's still an ugly thing. It's a terrible thing. It's the ripping of two souls that were joined together by God. And so, um, again, so you know, I, you know, sometimes I advocate divorce. I just did a couple weeks ago. You know, in a situation where a woman was in a very very dangerous place, and uh, the husband was. Man, I don't know, man. Maybe a serial killer. The guy was just creepy, scared, mm. scared me to death. The guy, mm. the guy was very, very scary. So, um, you know, in those situations, I mean, I was afraid for my safety. Talking mm-hmm. to him, I'm like, okay, you got to get out of here. Mm. You know, if I'm scared as the mm-hmm. pastor, I can't imagine what the wife goes through. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, let's go back to the first question. Whatever the church looses, is loosed. Mm. So, if you're thinking about divorce, go to the church and get spiritual counsel. Don't make the decision on your own. Don't even make the decision with a, with a Christian counselor. Any real Christian counselor that is a real Christian will encourage you to talk to your church leadership yeah. before you make that decision. Mm-hmm. They will encourage you to bring in church counsel. Uh, man, and if you don't have a, a church where you can go to and get good counsel, you're in the wrong church. Mm-hmm. Go find a church, man. We got, we got wise, amazing, gifted ministers and pastors at this church who would love to help you uh, navigate this decision. And man, I got to say this. I wish I would have said this in my sermon last week uh, of Changed Lives. I came here on Wednesday night, uh, two Wednesdays ago to pick up my son at youth group. And I met this couple and they said, we've never met you. And she said, this is my husband. She said, we're divorced. And I was like, okay. And she said, since I started coming here, I invited him and we're working on reconciling our relationship. I, I was like, hmm, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe that. So here's a couple that completely were divorced. One spouse started coming, God started to work in her heart. God started to teach her about grace and forgiveness and second chances. Wow. And she invited her husband and here they are in tears because not only has their souls been saved, but their marriage, their divorced marriage is being healed. Mm-hmm. Now that's not the case in every case. It's not even possible if you're married to other people, mm-hmm. but 
um, man, that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I got to see what God was doing. So that was uh, pretty cool. So cool. Yeah, I feel like it got a little heavy there. But guys, my job is to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Because we are all going to stand before God one day. Mm-hmm. And we need to be ready. We need to be ready. We'll give an account for our decisions. And um, I want you to be ready. And, uh, and, I, and it's my job to tell you the truth. So I love you. I love you all. <laughs> So John writes, in Sunday's sermon, you talked about how gaining wisdom is learned by studying the Bible and knowing how and when to apply it. I've struggled my whole life with ADD and find it difficult to read and then being able to extract information in the future from what I've read. I've been relying on what I learned from Sandal's sermons, small group, and recently listening to the debrief. You've mentioned how you struggle with ADD, Pastor Matt, and was hoping you could provide some insight on how I could better study and learn God's Word. I thought about squirrels three times in the middle of that question. Yeah. Yes. Well, what I would say is, is do what you're doing. So don't, don't make yourself feel guilty. All of us learn differently. Uh, some of us learn kinesthetically through, you know, experiencing things. Some of us are auditory learners. We, we learn from listening and, and others can learn in a traditional way. And so what I would say is keep doing what you're doing. Keep listening. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. God has designed us all differently. And so don't torture yourself trying to be something you're not in terms of how God has created you to learn. So keep doing everything that you're doing, listen to everything you can, and I think you're gonna grow. Because if you're like me, I learn, uh, when I learn something audibly or somebody is sharing something, I never forget it. But if, when I was younger, especially, and I had to read it, I would struggle with comprehension, which is reading and then being able to retain that information and tell somebody about what you've read in an informational way. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, You know, I've gone through uh, a lot of counseling for ADD, specific training um, that literally helped me with my focusing, but that was expensive and tedious and uh, not always fun. So keep doing what you're doing and uh, praise God that you have a desire to know God and God will meet you where you are. So you guys have already alluded to hardships and things like that that came up in your marriage. Oh, yes. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about that. What are what have been some of the hardest times for you guys? Well, right off the bat, we got pregnant. We had no money, no jobs. <laughs> we didn't like each other. All right, not no big deals. Yeah. No, I I don't know if you want me to share this. They can edit this out. <laughs> but the the hardest time was Tammy got on some birth control in the nineties oh called Deprovera, which Depo. they now Depo they have now find found out makes women crazy. Um, we found that out. Yeah, we years just, ago. we discovered that when my wife was levitating <laughs> five feet in the air, you know, like summoning the demons from the deep. I was like. <laughs> What is going on? So it was crazy. I mean, like they don't they don't give that, or at least in that form, to women anymore because it literally. I mean, women like killed their husbands and stuff on that stuff. It was crazy. I almost killed Matt. That. That's yeah. crazy. So, um, you know, th- those were hard times. You know, the hardest times for us. And again, go back to the. We never had a conversation about okay, you want to be a stay at home mom. We never talked about that one time. So we got married. I'm going to plan a church. I make no money. The church literally the finances sucked so bad. Um, and she, she, Tammy actually made more money than me for the first four years of our marriage. It wasn't even close. So she thought I was lazy. She thought I didn't care, you know, all of these things. Well, I was going to work all day, every day yeah. and then coming home and we had two babies because I couldn't not get pregnant. Yeah. Apparently. I married fertile Myrtle, dude. You look at her. She's pregnant. <laughs> I got pregnant on birth control. Yeah. That's on great. depot. So yeah. I was uh, crazy and it didn't work. So there was that. It was a, de- a double negative. So, you know, we just, I, I think those were the hardest times. And, and so, you know, the ministry component adds something that nobody else feels. So my marriage not only affects my relationship qualities, but also my employment. Yeah. And so that's like, you know, and if you're a mar- uh, married couple that's in ministry, you know, you just have to understand 
the double whammy that's on the person that's in ministry because they can lose their job. I mean, it's not, it's not just, oh, my marriage broke up, but oh, now I can't, I can't pay the rent and I can't eat. I can't, I mean, it's just, it's, it, the stakes are so much higher. And so for us, it was just so, so difficult. And, um, you know, through that process, through those difficulties, through those fights, um, you know, uh, we just, we just were real with each other. And the biggest fight, you know, we ever got in, I remember, um, I don't remember what happened. I think we had gone to take uh, Christmas pictures, which are dangerous. So, <laughs> oh you know, goodness. the kids were terrible. The, the kids day. were terrible. They were awful. You know, they don't pose. And you're trying to write, yeah. put out this fake picture of you and your How family. Happy you are. And uh, we got in this huge fight. I ended up walking home from, from Tyler Mall from to Tyler Woodcrest. Mall. I was that mad. Oh so, um, you know, we got home. And, and so the fight continued. And at, at some point, she's locked herself in the bathroom. She's crying. And I'm on the outside of the bathroom yelling. I can't remember what. And I, I finally, these words came out of my mouth. I'm like, how is it everyone in the world thinks I'm awesome? I said this, this is like a little <laughs> moment. How is it that everyone in the world thinks I'm awesome, but you don't? And I hear this little whimpering voice because nobody knows the real you. And I was just like, <laughs> so that was a defining moment, I think for both of us. And it was just like, you know, I kind of went off and prayed and God, I just really began to learn in that moment. Okay, I got to, I, I had knew uh, Luke nine twenty three. if any man would come after me, let him deny himself pick up his cross and follow me, which means die to yourself. It was, it was only in that moment where I, re, I fully realized, oh, this is what dying to self means like. And we had a great talk and we began to pursue each other and just really re- recommit our, our relationship. And, um, you know, God, God began to answer. The church began to grow. Uh, we were able to buy a house. Things happened. God provided. It was absolute miracle for us. I mean, um, and so, you know, we had financial stress. We had relational stress. We had babies. We had babies. Uh, then Tammy's dad got sick. He got cancer. Um, it was really, really, really challenging. Um, you know, then her mom really quickly got remarried when he, when he died. We, we just we just had real challenges. Um, and then her sister moved away. I mean, it was, it was crazy, crazy times. But all of that, what it did is it really helped cement us together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say those early years of our marriage... We were still so individual and I was close to my family. They were my family. Matt was my husband, but not necessarily my family. I didn't trust him with me, which was interesting now, like learning about the need for safety and security and all of that. My family was safe to me and being near them made me feel like, well, if this doesn't work out, I, I'll go mm. home. My dad will take care of me. Um, and when all of that fell apart, it was this weird there was a lot of tension, but there was this weird, um, as Matt began to lead, and and I don't know how this works into it, but I would say somebody has to go first. I think that husband going first is really fantastic because it's leading spiritually. But as soon as the more Matt began to die to himself to, he would apologize first. And I'm not saying he needed to, or well, because he was wrong, he should have, but he would do it. The more he did that, that I would let my guard down more. And then, which would make him feel safer to, which would make me feel more secure. And the more we started meeting in the middle, I mean, now it's a pretty non-issue, but somebody has to go first to grow, to change the relationship. He did it luckily. And I'm so grateful um, that he did because the more, like I said, the more he began to, I don't have to be right. I don't have to make this a fight. I don't have to criticize the less I felt a need to be defensive and be on my own and stand for myself and not, and it, it just, I don't know. It worked. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would say for me, you know, um, I mean, people listening and you watch me preaching, I mean, obviously I have gifts that God has given me, gifts of persuasion, uh, gifts of communication. I'm fairly bright, right? Those are, those are good qualities until you get married. Um, <laughs> because when you fight uh, and you argue, um, I could win the argument and lose my marriage. And um, in the end, it's not important about who's the more gifted communicator, who's the more persuasive person, who's more passionate. What's important is the marriage and submitting one to another as unto Christ. And so I had to learn to, which I think I've also had to learn this in ministry. I, I see a lot of pastors that use their physical gifts and talents to manipulate people. And I don't do that. I just refuse to do that. I want the Holy Spirit to be involved and connected. And so I, I'm... I must become less so God can become more in that process. And the same thing had to happen in our marriage because I could win the argument, but my wife is devastated, absolutely devastated. And the truth is, you know, she was working a full-time job, caring for two kids that she didn't get to stay at home with. She was dropping her children off at a house. She didn't want to drop them. I mean, things were really, really difficult. Her dad was sick. Um, Things were really, really bad. And I needed to really start listening uh, to her more and, um, for me, um, I, I think this was huge. I met a guy by the name of Phil Busby. He's no longer with us. He's with the Lord, but he pastored a church in uh, uh, here in Riverside, California. It's called Bible Fellowship of Riverside. Um, it's now called Bridges. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small church now, but it was a pretty big church in Riverside back then in the mid-90s. And he started discipling me every week. And um, he, he and his wife had a pretty passionate relationship, which is good you know, uh, for lovemaking and challenging for communication. So uh, their relationship was a lot like Tammy and mine. And he mentored me one hour a week, every single week for two years. Mm. And, you know, I could come to him and say, I just don't know what Tammy's problem is. You know, I think she's crazy. And he's like, well, and then we would unpack that. And I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. You know, and I, I can't tell you how many times where I was like, and that's what just really helped me to realize what Tammy's expressing is her emotions in a way that feels safe. And so what I need to do is create a safer place for her to more clearly articulate her emotions so it doesn't sound so crazy. Um, and, and he just really mentored me. And so I just would say that again, get an older couple that loves Jesus, that knows Jesus and get them to mentor you. I know it's super cool to be in a small group with everybody's your same age, but they're, they all know as much as you do, which is not always mm-hmm. enough. So when he started doing that, man, I would say that was the turning point for us is it began to change me. And he... I knew that he loved me. I knew that he loved Jesus and he challenged me and it just helped me mature and it helped me grow and uh, helped me be a better person and it helped me listen. And so um, a lot of guys haven't had that intentional mentorship, but so getting a, you know, a, a men's group, getting a, a women's group, get somewhere where someone can just say, you know, if you're a gal, sweetie, you know, your husband's not going to be Captain Romance every day. You need to suck it up because I think women have you know, uh, unhealthy expectations for what a man is supposed to be. It's just ridiculous, you know, uh, and men, right. I think that's pretty obvious that we think, you know, our, our wives are supposed to be, you know, these physical specimens, you know, that look like these things that we see on magazines and it's just, and, and to behave and operate like that. And it's just, the, the, the world's advice is so bad. It's so That's what I see happen with women. And I I tell women this all the time is if your girlfriends, when you're upset with your husband, if they're like, yeah, he is a jerk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that's bad news because all Mm -hmm. that does is flame a fire. You need to have, which, you know, Sandals is birthed on being real and having community, having someone that, because if Matt and I are doing our marriage on our own, when we have done it on our own, 
you know, there's that secret place in you, that real place where you're going, we shouldn't be together because it's hard. Mm. It's not just working. It's not magical. You know, uh, it must be wrong because it's not easy. Because and I and so that's when people, most people hit, you know, the eject. When you're in community with other couples that you love, respect, know, love God, and you're saying, "Here's our stuff," and they're like, "Yeah, that's hard. We've done that." And here's how we met. You're like, "Wow, mm-hmm. it's not us, just us. We're not wrong. Maybe this is how it is. Maybe bringing two people together." is hard. Maybe life can be hard and messy. And, but if you're left to yourself and you're never being real with other people, you think you are broken when you get in community and you share your stuff and you're like, Oh, other people who are good people who love the Lord have the same kind of things. Like maybe this is just life, you know? And that's why it's so important to be able to share real things. And, and it really takes, um, some of the power out of the hard things and unless you see it's just life that maybe Mm -hmm. because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong or it's broken. Yeah. I think also one of the challenges was, you know, I saw my parents fight and they worked it out and Tammy's marriage growing up, every conflict led to the conversation of divorce. And so someone would Mm -hmm. leave storm out. And so that's what she was used to. So whenever we would have disagreements, Tammy's go-to, and this is why it's so important, you know, that eventually you take this, self-assessment uh, class that we're going to offer at the church because who you are as a child and how you survived in your family of origin determines how you're going to operate in your current marriage. And so mm-hmm. Tammy's family of origin, people fight, somebody leaves. There's always a cost to to disagreements. And so Tammy's a six. Yeah, every, every fight we had, my was fear was, it's the begin- this is the beginning of the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll never forget. And I mean, uh, I remember one time in particular, Tammy and I, one of our big struggles was who who, t- who, who watches over the finances. So for the first, what did you say, 10 years 10, you did? Yeah. First 10 years. And Tammy's just terrible at like, she's just so frightened it with money and bills. And there's something <laughs> about writing a check and money leaving the account that it's like, we do this every month. So mm-hmm. she's worried. So we went to counseling for like, what, two years? Mm-hmm. And finally, you know, the counselor's like, you need to trust Matt with the money. Um and so in her family, um, you know, they weren't always clear. Like I remember her dad, he always had his own money. Like he had a little stash. Well, I'm going to pay that for this or that. And, and so it was just weird. And they were, they had a good relationship, mm-hmm. but it was just different. It wasn't, it wasn't the way that I thought it should be, um, which is weird because now my parents are older and they have their own money, which is weird. Like it wasn't that way when I was a kid. So, you know, we share our finances together. We, you know, everything's together. But the, the big issue was she had to trust me. She mm-hmm. had to trust that I wasn't going to bankrupt us. I wasn't going to screw up or make mistakes. Um, and, 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 and it's amazing how much that's helped her about not panicking, um, mm-hmm. you know, about money. It's like, okay, we're going to be okay. I mean, it does help that I make more money now that, that, that helps um, from back then. But, you know, those were just some of the issues that we, we had to work through. And, and just know your relationship will have unique challenges. Every relationship does. Mm-hmm. Your relationship might not have as many challenges as Tammy and I do. We're both... Uh, I think very challenging people. I think. <laughs> That's what I, someone was talking about. And I'm like, I don't know what we could say to do, but I could tell you everything. Don't do it like this. Don't do it like this. Don't do this. Mm. So but here we are. 
Well, there it was, the very best of the debrief, and that concludes our look back down memory lane. Mm -hmm. Thank you to those of you guys who've been with us from the very beginning. You know what? Hold on. If you are someone who's listened to every single episode of the debrief, I want to do something very special for you. I want to invite you to head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. I was getting so excited, like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do for them? This is such a good idea. We're going to invite them a five-star review. But yeah, definitely leave us a five-star review in iTunes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we want to get more visible there in the iTunes store. And that is a great way to do it. So leave us a review there. We're going to be running a contest all summer, giving away a free piece of... Summer's over, remember? Yeah, okay. Well, the rest of summer... We're running a contest, yeah. We ran a contest. We might still be running a contest. But we're giving away a free piece of debrief merch to Mm -hmm. folks who submit a five-star review in iTunes. We'll be announcing some winners of that on social media. So you won't hear it here on the episodes. You want to make sure you're following us on Instagram and Facebook. And we'll be announcing our winners there. It's a free free piece of merch of your choosing, right? Of your choosing. Shirt or sticker. Choose the shirt. The possibilities are endless. (laughs) Yeah, choose the shirt. It's got a higher value uh, (laughs) on the resale market. Uh, Lastly, if you if you also want to shirt, well, well, I I don't know. I I think I'd love to see one land on eBay. That'd be awesome. We'll write something special on it if you want to resell the shirt and uh, donate the money to charity, specifically Sandals Church. You can text give debrief to nine five one nine hundred forty one twenty with all of your eBay profits, supporting what God is doing here at Sandals Church, creating this awesome show, creating new campuses, all kinds of great stuff. You can just simply text give debrief to nine. 951-900-4120. That's right. There it is. The That's very it. best of the debrief. We'll see you back next week with brand new live episodes with our good old pal, Pastor Matt Brown, bringing real, real answers. answers to your tough questions from the Bible. That's right. Yes.